Hello, and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of pretty little liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, Elsia123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. Now, before we get into the episode tonight, I want to share some thoughts I've been having about PLL as it relates to the Game of Thrones finale. Vina, do you watch Game of Thrones? I do not. Um, I, yes, I'm one of those people who has never really been drawn to it. Um, so, yes, but I, I, you know, I've been obviously exposed to the hype because how can you not be? Right, right. And I actually, I've only watched the show for the last few episodes of this season. I have read the books and I was waiting for the book series to be finished. But then uh, at the last moments, I was like, the book series may never be finished in my lifetime. So I'm just going to go ahead and like from the Battle of Winterfell on, I'm going to watch the show. Uh, But fans of the show are extremely upset with the way the Game of Thrones ended because plot lines that seemed to have been building forever turned out to be essentially meaningless and irrelevant. Oh, this character learns to be a face-switching assassin, but never uses that skill in the final season? This character has a secret identity that's been kept hidden for years, but doesn't matter at all in terms of his fate? The writers choose an ending that has maximum surprise value, but makes no actual sense if you think about it for more than five seconds? And bonus, there is a final plot point that is shitty and problematic for a marginalized group. Legions of fans are so disappointed, but not me. No, not me, because I trained for this by watching seven seasons of Pretty Little Liars, where the Nat Club never comes back and Marlene isn't even sure who Beach Hottie was, where everyone has a twin and none of the clues lead anywhere. It appears that PLL may have broken me and that now as a viewer, I no longer expect narrative cohesion, but I am therefore disappointment proof. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well said. I, I was just like picturing picturing you like in a training montage in a movie, like watching PLL with like and like a coach being like, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. Yeah. You have to experience it all. Yeah, yeah. Um, Game of Thrones viewers uh, and, and PL crossover viewers, I feel like it's going to be a really similar experience. We We were more prepared than any of those other people were. But now, now we can go on to save the date. <laughs> totally, totally. Yes. Um, yeah, I'll just say like for a, a, a series that recently ended and had an extremely satisfying ending, check out Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely agree. That was up there. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's ending was up there with like the Americans ending, I would say, or like the Mad Men ending, an ending that like did justice to the show that came before it totally totally yeah six feet under is another yeah. I include um yes well but this is this is not a podcast about any of those shows this is a <laughs> podcast about season two episode eight of pretty little liars entitled save the date uh this episode uh includes tom Marin getting the boot uh aria's interest starting to drift away from presra the return of Wayne Fields, and Emily's HGH pain cream stress ulcer. It is also an episode that includes multiple liar disguises. 
introduces a couple of, of uh, running plot points, including Ren Kingston being the doctor to everyone in Rosewood, no matter their condition. <laughs> yes, plus we get a couple of new locations in this episode. This is the first time we see the morgue, and it's the first time we see Spencer's Lake House. Yes. Oh, I was so excited about the lake house. And I think the first, but I don't think the last time that Caleb and Hannah will sit on the side of the road. together. <laughs> well, you know, even though they could probably do better. Every couple has their thing. <laughs> Very true. <clears throat> Very true. Uh, so uh, do you want to take us into the episode since, <laughs> since I've already eaten up some air with my Game of Thrones thoughts? Absolutely. Um, we start, so the, so the last episode ended, as a reminder, with Spencer uh, in Garrett's car alone getting the information that he is not to be trusted, just as she was really starting to interrogate him about, um, it, you know, the condition of, of Allison's death. And so now we are in Spencer's car, the liars minus Emily are... Uh, debriefing basically Spencer's escape. Spencer is still pretty freaked out. Um, they're trying to figure out how he got, uh, which we learned in the last episode via Mike's smash and grab. Um, and they just kind of have some some banter about what um, what Garrett might be doing, uh, what his connection to Jenna might be. Is he bringing raw meat to Jenna's cat? Jenna doesn't have a cat. Is he bringing raw meat to Jenna? Um, we learn that they are waiting for Emily outside the Fields house because these other tenants keep accidentally tripping the Fields alarm system, which for about half a second I thought was a clue, and then I remembered, like, that doesn't actually mean anything. But it would have been a nice spot, I feel like, to, like, put in a little clue about something. Um, Hannah, who was going to put her foot in her mouth repeatedly throughout this episode, thinks Mike will be on lockdown indefinitely. Aria doesn't want to talk about this. Um, as, as Emily rejoins them, they see Garrett's car and Garrett going into the Kavanaugh Marshall house. They all follow, though Hannah is somewhat reluctant. Um, when Hannah is asked to walk quieter, she says, Jenna can't hear us. She's blind. Um, which is a line that I used to find really funny and now feels like kind of a double whammy, Jenna's blind, Hannah's dumb joke. Neither of which I'm particularly fond of at this point. Um, at the window, Jenna opens up the curtains and disrobes while she and Garrett start making out in front of the liars and the entire town. I feel like this is intentional because they are, the liars are not at all being subtle and neither are Jenna and Garrett. No, I had in my notes that the liars approach with minimum stealth because Hannah, Hannah is clumping and talking at a normal volume. Do you think that they're trying to, like, that Garrett and Jenna are basically just trying to rub it in the liars' faces at this point? Um, I don't know. Or Jenna has some kind of exhibitionist streak that she likes to, she likes to have Emily and Spencer see her in her black lingerie. I, I am not sure. Wouldn't surprise me. No, no, it would not surprise me. Um, but yeah, I, I also like, I like when the liars all duck down in the car. Uh, that's one of my favorite liar moves the you can't see me. And also I like when they gasp really loudly in unison, uh, as Garrett and Jenna are smooching in the window. It's almost as good as them reading an A text in unison. It, yeah, it is. Plus I'm also going to note, this is our first, uh, 
like major indication of some timeline wonkiness because Hannah, uh, when they're talking about when did Garrett and Jenna become buddies, uh, Hannah says they grew up across the street from each other. His parents still live there. And we actually know that Jenna didn't grow up in that house because in the first secret, we see Jenna uh, coming to town for presumably uh, the first time they're moving there. So uh, just a, a small note that this is like the first time that the PLL timeline is clearly going to contradict itself. Totally. And, and also that it, it seems pretty unlikely that like, well, I guess we don't know when Toby and Jenna's parents got married. I was going to say, it seems pretty unlikely that Toby would have grown up in the town given the way that he's treated in the town. But I guess, yeah, that doesn't necessarily contradict yourself. Oh, so many PLL timelines and family trees. It's enough to make your head. Yeah. Sick. And I'm sure we'll get to that too when we eventually do the first secret. But yeah. Yeah. Um, Post credits, breakfast keeps getting awkward at the Marinfields household. Uh, Hannah is walking over Emily as Emily does sit-ups and worrying about Emily's level of pain because she's used half a tube of pain cream just since last night. Which leads me to ask, where's the pain cream coming from? Did Mona hide it in the medicine cabinet or is she like, you know, dosing every tube in every store in town? <laughs> I want some process notes from A for, for this particular uh, this particular hijinks that Mona is up to. But uh, Tom Marin makes a rumpled appearance in the kitchen, uh, which I think Hannah seems low-key thrilled about, although it sounds like Ashley had maybe been hoping he would sleep in and stay out of sight. Uh, and this all goes from awkward... Uh, but heartwarming to awkward and fucking icy uh, when Ashley looks through the mail and discovers a fancy envelope for Hannah. Emily says, who do you know who lives in Baltimore? <laughs> to which Hannah responds, my dad. <laughs> Burn. Ashley opens the envelope to find a save the date for Tom and Isabel's wedding. And Ashley then says, you're getting married in six weeks. Save the date busted um also tom is transgressing a lot of social mores here but we should not overlook the breach of etiquette uh for weddings save the dates are supposed to be sent six to eight months before the ceremony six to eight weeks out from the event you should be sending the actual invitations but also i kind of feel like sending anything out in the form of announcements while your groom is shacking up with his ex that also seems like a lot of chutzpah in its own right Oh, agreed. Yeah, this scene is so great. I feel like Ashley Benson is having such a fun time with these Cocoa Puffs because she's eating Cocoa Puffs through this whole scene. She introduces them um, at the beginning of the scene by because Emily says she has to watch her sugar intake, intake and Hannah replies, well, you're about to watch my sugar intake because I'm about to eat a big ass bowl of Cocoa Puffs. And then she's just kind of like Cocoa Puff acting throughout this whole scene, like waving her spoon around, having like big bites of cereal. Uh, it's fun when the actors have like a little prop to play with. And I feel like she's really enjoying this particular prop. And I think that the Cocoa Puffs are like a symbol of Hannah kind of celebrating her parents getting back together because based on what we know of what Hannah's normal breakfast habits are, I feel like the Cocoa Puffs are definitely a special treat. Totally, totally. Cause she was having Cocoa Puffs with Caleb when he lived with them too. Like that was kind of their little thing. It's true. 
over at the Hastings house, uh, Spencer is reading articles about Allison on her on her laptop when there is a knock at the door. It is Ren Kingston, and he has a giant plant that he brings into the house. Um, one of the things I like about this scene is that I don't think that it's really uh, acknowledged why he's bringing a plant. But if we'll recall from early season one, he like broke a plant one time when he was at the Hastings house. And so I like that as like, a subtle callback that doesn't actually have to be put into the dialogue. Um, Ren is clearly kind of like sniffing around to see who's here at the house. Spencer reveals that it's just her, which he seems pretty happy about. He reveals that he's starting a rotation at, uh, at Rosewood, at, like the Rosewood hospital. Um, and Spencer like within a breath pivots to talk about autopsies, like a very normal person. Can a doctor perform an autopsy on a head wound and know exactly what caused it? Where would Rosewood find the Rosewood pathologist? Could Ren maybe take her to his house? Um, Spencer, I would imagine that like most things, it kind of depends on a, on the situation, whether you can tell exactly what object bludgeoned someone to death or not. Um, but Ren is, is, it's clear that he's there for Spencer. He switches from coffee to tea when she uh, says that she has a boyfriend uh, and because he wants to invite her out for a beverage before school Ren you British bastard she is still underage as she always has been but that doesn't seem to matter to him yes Ren is a charming smarmy adult male Brit I'm trying to be as rigorous in my critique of him as I am in my critique of other adult men on the show uh but oh gosh he's still Ren <laughs> but uh, I also enjoy that while Spencer is uh quizzing him about uh, autopsies and weapons she also tries to play it off as this information that she needs is for a school project which, <laughs> which I'm not exactly sure what like what school project she is envisioning for this um, but I, I really like that there, there's going to be another time in this episode when Spencer pretends that uh, all these death details are school related which obviously Spencer goes to murder school i guess it's rosewood so that tracks <laughs> you know it, probably like given how much these girls are going to have to confront murder in their day-to-day -day lives it would be a good idea for them to get some some life skills classes related to murder maybe that's the life skills class that jenna is teaching when she becomes a rosewood high teacher that is a great point i love the idea of like rosewood high's life skills class being like just like you're stuck in a room and there are two walls that are closing in on you with like giant spikes on them and you have to like pick the right thing to like hold them apart and escape and then like another one is like some crocodiles attack you and you have to like try to make your way i i, I really like that i like it being like a bunch of James Bond style murder traps that the students have to like make their way out of or not you're locked in a giant kiln room go <laughs> yeah I, th I think that's that's really ideal um, that is what the educational system in Rosewood definitely needs um, meanwhile Hanley is heading to school Emily thinking about whether uh, her second parents are going to get back together and how much time she has to practice before the meet uh, Hannah snarks that they'll figure it out, and she's already wearing more pain cream than clothes. Uh, she sends Emily away as they see Caleb doing some sketchy phone business with a random kid. Hannah catches sight of the black follow car and casually stro strolls by close enough to see that the guy inside is leafing through a Pennsylvania police file on Caleb. 
She tries to tell Caleb not to be doing his business on the street right now, but he gets surly and takes off before she can explain what's going on. Mm. Spencer is in the hallway at school when Garrett walks up. She looks kind of uh, freaked out to see him there. He makes a bad, like, not joke about scaring kids into looking at the road rather than their cell phones, and that's why he's at school. He then insists that the comment was funny, and this is where I realized that Garrett might be the Jeb Bush of the NAT club. Uh, Spencer tries to play off her interest in the case as her, um, as, as it being for a school project, and, you know, sometimes she can get like that. She lies about not w- being worried about the case anymore. Um, and kind of runs off, basically, leaving Garrett to stare after her. Mike Montgomery is crossing the courtyard when he is accosted by his former friend, Chaz, who has terrible bangs. Does he want Mike to steal him some new hair? No. He wants to hassle Mike about smash and grab being his new sport. And he says some problematic things with racist undertones involving words like gangster and crackhead. And then he and Mike start to scuffle until their altercation is broken up by Ella Montgomery. Ugh, that is embarrassing when your mom is a teacher who saves you from getting beaten up. <laughs> yeah, Mike's in a bad place right now. Things are things are not looking up for Mike. He is. He is. Oh, we're coming up to like, this is actually one of my favorite Presria scenes of ever. Would you, would you like to talk about Can it? Can I? Or- yeah, totally okay um how disinterested is aria in Prezra's ass here let us count the ways <laughs> number one she ran by his building without stopping to talk or smooch or argue about their secret relationship two she didn't tell him she was coming to campus today <laughs> Three, she barely looks up from this bowl that she is, like, assiduously painting to interact with him. She rebuffs his ghost reference by mentioning that movie ends sadly. Five, she does not kiss him, nor does she agree to have sex in the empty classroom, which he seems to be sort of angling for. And she does it in such a disinterested way. He is kissing her neck, and she's like... Uh, can we do this later? <laughs> Six, when, in a last-ditch effort to salvage the next chapter of his true crime book, he opts to ask how things are going at home, she gives him a one-word answer of sucky. Seven, she doesn't buy his boys-will-be-boys routine when he tries to mansplain Mike's problems to her. Number eight, she casually drops Jason's name and fails to apologize even when Prezra puffs out his chest about it. Nine, she does not respond to his transparent attempt to trigger a retaliatory jealousy when he picks up one of Jenna's pieces and waxes on about Jenna's talent. This has been a tried and true method for him in the past. (laughs) Uh, Ten, she also does not apologize for not telling him about Mike. Eleven, she promises to call him, but makes no firm plan to come over to his place. And then number twelve, she's pretty unconvincing when he presses her on whether or not he should worry about Jason, and she says no. Uh, This is like, I think I said, my second favorite Presria scene of all time. My favorite being the fear-induced daydream where he's led away in handcuffs. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I I really love... um this is the first time I'm going to say this. I really love what they're doing with Presria in this episode. Um, I think that 
like I would be so curious to know like what the writing and direction and direction for all of this was like how because Presria as the show goes on is so much framed as like the end game pairing and yet Arya really is so disinterested here she feels so disconnected from him she's constantly moving away from him she's constantly looking away from him her voice is even like not reaching the the register that it usually reaches it just like it almost is like the fight has gone out of her um the passion has gone out of her um I really kind of when Ezra mentioned ghost I really wanted Arya to say that she was too young to get that reference um I yeah I just I think this scene is super super fascinating and I also want to note that if I was hearing correctly the um the lyric on the soundtrack that's playing through this scene it's repeating the line, I change my needs, I change my needs, which is a really fascinating line to me in relation to where Presria are at here. Yeah, and I wonder, like, I, I wonder how much the show had planned in terms of where it was eventually going, because we do see Ashley and Tom break up later in this episode, and there's the part where, um, there's the part where Hannah asks what her dad did wrong, and Ashley says... Uh, you know, she basically says, it's not that he did anything wrong. It's that I don't want to be with him anymore. And mm-hmm. I feel like that is sort of what's going on here. It's not that they've had a big giant fight. It's not that, you know, either of them has done anything wrong per se. It just really seems to be like, in this case, Arya is feeling like maybe this is not what she needs right now. And he is like... She is doing everything but using her words to ask for distance, which we've heard mm-hmm. her use her words before to do things like that, and he just ignores it. Um, but that seems to be the message, and it's one that he is not taking very happily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and whereas in the past, like, she's opened up to him in a way where it's like she's, she's admitting something to him, like with the whole Jenna thing, where she, like, she hated lying to him and she admitted it to him, and she was asking for forgiveness and all of this. In this scene, she's not opening up to him. And then when she does, there's almost this feeling like she's saying things to get him to go away. She's talking about Jason. She's talking about Mike. But she doesn't want to explain or apologize for any of it, like you said. She just, like, wants him to get off her back. Well, yeah. And his, like, we we saw the scene where she was in his office in in the episode uh, where they're going to Ian's funeral, and mm-hmm. she's talking about you know the trauma of seeing a dead body, and he just launches into his well, it'll take a long time for you to get over this. Like he just launches into his mansplain of trauma, and when he does that same move here, like when she says you know Mike's situation is something that she still has a lot of concern and worry about he immediately leans back into his like elder lecture mode uh and tries Mm -hmm. to like oh one of his friends probably put him up to it it's no thing uh and that's really interesting because ezra certainly knows that mike has broken into a lot more houses he has cameras literally everywhere um but he's like feigning ignorance here uh and just trying to you know go through their usual motions and aria not interested she actually like when he starts talking about how talented Jenna is, like she seems like she's about two seconds away from saying, well, she likes older guys, so good luck. <laughs> totally. I mean, I'm, I'm going to make a sports reference, which is very much out of my wheelhouse, so I'm going to tread lightly here, but I feel like that's Ezra's like Hail Mary pass there, where he's like, 
bring up Jenna and her talent. That always gets her riled up. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, not this time, yeah. buddy. Not this time. You know, maybe maybe we can table this discussion for another time, or maybe we can talk about it here. But, like, at what point do we think that the writers made the decision about, like, the book and Ezra's surveillance and all of that? Because I don't think that they necessarily made that decision at this point. I think a decision that they had made at this point, I think that they already were working him being a Fitzgerald and being rich and having not told mm-hmm. her that. I think that that already exists at this time. And frankly, I wouldn't, I don't know. I mean, I think that they were always writing with a lot of, uh, a lot of options open to them. Uh, so I guess, I don't know. I don't know if the Ezra with his cameras uh, had entered their minds yet, but since they go with it later, I feel it's retroactively valid here. Oh, I totally agree. I just think like it's that frustrating thing when you're watching a show where nobody knew how it was going to end, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, because I feel like they ramp up the creepiness so intensely when they do reveal that, that it makes me think that they didn't really have a thought about, like that they were writing in a way where it's like, well, he could be, but everybody could be, you know? It's totally true. But I feel like I'm, I'm really glad like in a in a weird way i mean i wish that they would have stuck with it and kept ezra as as the a but i feel like the way that they wound up doing it where they didn't know at this time Mm -hmm. looking at these scenes now it makes it that much creepier because he's Mm -hmm. so like he's so like hi i'm a nice guy i'm your charming adult man boyfriend like you know and it really is interesting to look at that and see a layer underneath where He's literally just a creep. Totally. And especially in, in, you know, in this scene and in a lot of scenes where he, you can tell like he's trying to get information out of Arya. And when you know, you know, he's asking her about Jason here um, and Mike, he he will continue to do that. And I feel like um, that takes on another layer as well. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Um. Back at school, Emily is at her locker when she looks to the side and who's down the hallway but her father. Wayne Fields has arrived. He had a training seminar in Delaware and he decided to come up for her big meet. Um, He uh, mentions the Danby Scout and Emily realizes that she had let her parents know that the Scout was going to be at this particular meet. Um, She looks like she's starting to panic as Wayne talks about how excited he is. He's going to be cheering from the stands. Basically, all of Emily's uh, not-truth chickens are coming home to roost here. And uh, Wayne walks away and presumably, like, leaves this dimension because as Emily bends down, something starts to hurt. She screams. She collapses. Her father is somehow nowhere to be found. Garrett, of course, is still there. And he rushes over um, to take to, uh, to help Emily, who is, like, on the floor screaming in pain at this point. Yes, I feel like this is actually like Emily is experiencing so much stress and anxiety in this scene. It almost seems like this is just an anxiety dream that she's having. Like all of a sudden her father is there. All of a sudden, in addition to the pressure of this swim meet, the lie that she told might come out. Her dad wants to meet the scout. Like all of this stuff is happening. And then she like just collapses to the ground in in a fit of pain. Totally, totally. And, and in a weird way, I kind of feel like this episode is tonally um, 
taking on some aspects of the show that would come into play later where things are like heightened to this degree where it could be a dream sequence. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is getting a little bit more bizarre, a little bit creepier, a little bit more like noir-esque. And it does feel like, are we, like what reality are we even in right now? I think that the Spencer and Arya stuff later in this episode really feels that way. <laughs> uh, oh, do you want to take us to the hospital? Uh, no, go ahead. Keep, keep. Uh, so at the hospital, we learned that Emily had just thought it was a strained muscle um and i feel like it's very telling that wayne is so out of the loop that he doesn't even list the the right stressors like the right things that have been freaking emily out he's talking about him being away so much in the move not you know all this a stuff that's been going on and and you know hannah being hit by a car and um you know everything that's been going on for them uh emily wants to know when she can swim again she is super agitated here Wayne wants Emily to let the Danby scholarship go, insisting that she needs to rest. Uh, He also wants to talk to the scout, but Emily insists that they wait. Um, We cut to uh, Hannah and Spencer, who are coming to visit Emily. Hannah says, aren't ulcers something old people get? And Spencer replies, wipe that look off your face. You're going to freak her out. Uh, There are, I'll get into later, like some of why I love Spana, but this episode has so many examples of that. Hannah says that she's having deja vu because of her week that she spent in the hospital after her, you know, broken leg that healed in like a day. Um, Spencer wants to know what's going on with Caleb because Spencer always wants to know what's going on in her friend's relationships. Um, Oh, and there is a cat climbing all over my notes right now. Oh, and deleting all of my notes. Hi, buddy. Uh, And uh let's see where did we go she's ignoring the call from caleb and admitting to spencer that there's an undercover cop that seems to be following him thank you because literally the cat just deleted all of my notes about this particular scene (laughs) bye buddy um yes yeah hannah doesn't want to lose caleb is kind of how the scene yeah she's scared that he'll run again if she tells him and spencer is firmly on the side of letting people know when the cops are following them, uh, as if they really are after Caleb, Hannah could lose him to being arrested and thrown in jail. Right. Uh, I would just like to note that this whole, uh, Emily's whole plot line in this episode is kind of predicated on the idea that she's been under so much stress that it caused an ulcer. That's actually a myth. Ulcers are caused by bacteria. <laughs> not by stress uh they're caused by bacteria and or like prolonged use of anti-inflammatories but fine fine we'll we'll go with stress there we go yeah i I, um this is this whole plot line like it's kind of the the period on the end of the danby storyline in a lot of ways it's like there were aspects of the danby storyline that i liked i think emily forging the letter and then being sort of considering herself almost to be part of the a team or to be somehow complicit with a scheme i really liked that part i i'm not a huge fan of this whole like danby ulcer hgh cream storyline what what are your thoughts oh yeah i i agree uh i agree with that and it's another instance like uh i feel like by the time we get to the end of the show like the end of the show's run Spencer has endured by far the most punishment of the liars but here in these early seasons I feel like uh, I feel like it was Emily who really got the brunt of uh, the brunt of A's wrath I mean she was outed 
to her parents and to other people, you know, before she made that decision. Uh, she also, this HGH thing is going to get her kicked off of the swim team. Like this is like jeopardizing, like this isn't jeopardizing her in the moment. This is like jeopardizing her long-term, uh, you know, right. her long-term academic prospects. So uh, yeah, I don't, I don't love it. No, no, I don't either. I don't either. Uh, in the next scene, Tom Marin is coming through the door and asking Ashley if she just got home. Ashley is, in fact, running her fingers over the save the date card. And she says that she couldn't come by his hotel because Hannah borrowed her car. Emily is in the hospital. Uh, Tom seems like he doesn't want to let the little things like his impending nuptials come between them. But Ashley most certainly does. She says it was a mistake having him stay over last night and the situation is confusing for everyone and not fair to anyone. He protests, but she cuts in, Tom, I need to be with a man who's sure of what he wants. That was never you. And I'm no longer willing to waste my valuable time on you. So step off, bitch. Which that last part was Alice from the L word, but you get the point. And so does Tom taking his key off the key ring and getting the heck out of Dodge. Yes, I do. I do actually think that that even though like Ashley and Tom is not a relationship that I'm invested in, I think that they play the emotion of this scene really well. Um, maybe it's just the song. But again, like Tom leaves town and doesn't say goodbye to Hannah, which is like one last shitty note for this man to leave on. I mean, in any situation where he could do the decent thing or the shitty thing, it is a really good bet that Tom Marin is going to go the shitty route. Yeah, the coward's way out every time. Um, back at the hospital, Spencer and Hannah are trying to handle this information that Emily has a hole in her stomach. Yes, there's a hole in her stomach, Spencer says, when Hannah can't let it go. Moving on. And I just had to say, so this touches on one of my favorite aspects of the Spana dynamic, which is that they are both so blunt and... Um, so often saying the inappropriate thing that I love how they often have to trade off who's the inappropriate one asking the questions and who's sort of playing the translator mediator. It is always a fun time. Well, have we gotten the line yet or, or is it coming in the future where Hannah says that tact is just not saying true stuff? <laughs> I don't think we've gotten to that line yet, but we will at some point. Yeah, yeah. She is very obsessed with the hole in Emily's stomach. She says it so many times. I actually, I expected her to like start singing There's a Hole in the Bottom of the Sea, which like, you know, substituting the words for There's a Hole in the Bottom of Emily's Stomach, because she really like, she she says it at least five times, I think. And she's like delighting in this information. Like she's like, like she's made it her mission to be the person who lets everybody know about the hole in Emily's stomach. Yes. Like, hello, have you heard the good news? Emily has a hole in her stomach. <laughs> yes. Um, Emily is super distraught and says that she can't keep lying to her dad. Aria shows up. Um, she had to escape this, the family court in her house that was supposed to be a meeting about Mike, but he never showed. Of course, Aria shows up late with a drink that Emily can't drink. That's so Aria. Um, Spencer offers to trade in the coffee that Hannah, that Aria has brought for a tea. Um, yeah, I really feel like H Hannah, <laughs> who again talks about the hole in Emily's stomach. This is like the MVP of the episode. Uh, Spencer insists that Emily tell the truth so that she can get better. Hannah says, no, Emily can't tell the truth because then she'll have to move to Texas. 
Arya says that Emily doesn't have to make up her mind right now. And Emily says that she already has. I love this because it's like, I feel like they each get to have a line that is so perfectly in character, but it's not like hitting us over the head with it the way that, oh, I don't know, the perfectionist might by having each character state the character attributes that is making them uh, make this particular decision. Yeah, and all of their lines are really appropriate to where each of the characters is right now. Spencer says, you have to tell them because Spencer is like, you have to tell them because you want to get better. Like Spencer feels like once she solves Allison's murder, she'll know that she didn't do it and she can feel like that burden can be lifted from her. Hannah says like, no, like don't tell anyone you're going to have to go away, which mirrors her fear that Caleb is going to learn someone is following him and going to run off to parts unknown. Aria, who can't decide between Jason and Prezra right now is like, you don't have to make up your mind, la la la. So yeah, they're doing really, really good work about like, making those perspectives fit into the storylines that each of the other liars is having in this episode. Totally, totally. And and I also think that Hannah, in addition to being, uh, you know, really scared that Caleb is going to leave, she's really scared that her dad is going to leave and is so content to just uh, live in this fantasy world, which is what Ashley will refer to later. That's a great point, especially because Hannah... Like, if if she's in danger of losing her dad and losing Caleb, losing Emily is, like, the most unthinkable thing on top of all that. Like, you know, Emily is, it's a sleepover every night. Emily is, you know, her right. uh, her pseudo-sister now. So it would be really, that would be a blow that I think Hannah definitely wants to avoid if she can. Might Emily be her safe place to live? <gasps> oh, yes, indeed she might. Oh. Um, we next see Spencer, who was going to exchange the coffee, but winds up drinking the entire coffee herself in between Emily's room and the elevator, <laughs> where she hangs out, uh, staring at the directory and making note of where the morgue is located. And who should turn up again, like a bad British halfpence? Dr. McSketchy, Ren Kingston. Uh, he tells her that Emily is on the third floor, assuming she's there to visit, and then he follows her in the elevator to chat. Spencer is already cooking up a plan to hit the basement morgue and inquires to Ren about what else is down there. The answer is kitchen, laundry, morgue. Yeah, Ren has this really, like, stupid line when they get on the elevator. Like, it's a really full elevator, and he just kind of looks at Spencer and he goes, like, looks like we're going for a ride. It's like, oh, Ren, you're kind of a dork. Um, back uh, out of the hospital, we see a dark car with Jenna and Garrett inside. Uh, Jenna asks how Jenna asks why Garrett thinks that they're onto them. Garrett explains how Spencer was full of questions and then uh, suddenly wasn't. Jenna rightly surmises that Spencer might be playing them. Uh, Garrett doesn't think that she is. Jenna says that they need to take care of this. And I kind of like this idea that Jenna understands the depths of the liar's power and intelligence in a way that Garrett just really doesn't. I totally agree. But I just want to keep tabs on Garrett. He's just continuing to let Jenna think the two of them killed Allison. Is that the canon explanation for what's going on here? Maybe? I don't know. I'm a little fuzzy on how all of this shakes down. Well, because when it when we get the eventual explanation of everything that happened that night, we learn that Garrett and Jenna ran into Allison in the yard 
Garrett is the one who like grabbed the hockey stick and beat it against a tree, apparently making Jenna think that he had murdered Allison. And then they left a note in Jason's pocket that was like, I know what you did for virtually no reason except to prank him for having no memory. And then the two of them like scampered off into the night. So Garrett definitely knows that they didn't kill Allison. I don't know. This is a ridiculous plot point, And I'm going to say that at least Game of Thrones had dragons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this this is a weird one. And this is where I feel like the Garrett Jenna stuff goes from like kind of interesting and intriguing to just sort of like muddy and a little weird. Yes, yes. Um, Emily is alone in her hospital room with, uh, you know, Dr. McSketchy coming in. Uh, he thought Spencer was up there, which she is not. Uh, and he's not Emily's doctor, but he is just sort of checking in. He asks how she's feeling, and she very honestly says, hungry, weak, and scared. Well, there's good news, which is that the meds are working and her stomach hole is on the mend. Bad news, her lab showed high levels of HGH in her system. Emily freaks out as this could get her kicked off the swim team and permanently damage her chance for scholarships. And she swears that she has never used HGH and begs him not to tell her parents and run the test again. Uh, he is doubtful, but he agrees to speak with her attending and see what he can do. Yes. Oh, Emily and her HGH cream. Um, somehow the lighting in this scene actually makes Shay Mitchell, of all people, look sickly and sallow. So good job, lighting <laughs> department. Um, Caleb is in the town square, uh, still being tailed by that by that car when out of nowhere screeching up on the side of the road it's hannah she pulls up in a scarf and sunglasses uh picking caleb up for a bit of espionage as she demands that he get in her car i love her look here it's like old hollywood it's like woman driving in a hitchcock film she has the scarf like it's it's wrapped totally. over her head as if she's driving like a convertible along like i don't know the mountain roads uh, like above monte carlo or something like she she is really like i love that hannah picked this disguise hannah was like i need a disguise for this caper and this is what she went with totally totally it's it's so good and and later in the episode i love how she like clearly doesn't want to take the disguise off like she's well it's a great look for it. her i don't i don't blame her for that at all it's a wonder i actually feel like we're gonna see some other disguises in this episode but hannah's look is just it might be the most delightful moment of the episode is seeing her screech to a halt uh in this like grace kelly greta garbo audrey hepburn disguise that she has going on yes get in um and then <laughs> we go from this disguise to another disguise as aria arrives at the morgue and spencer pops out of a room in a candy striper outfit with a matching one for aria oh my god back-to-back -back disguises on this show also like team sparia changing into candy striper outfits in like a creepy morgue office feels like it's out of some well that's what i said like so aria is like walking down this basement hallway she's obviously like gotten a text from spencer to meet her in the basement um which i feel like when you have a psychotic stalker after you you should probably like get a little more detail before you actually go to the basement but at any rate she's wandering down the hallway spencer literally like pokes her head out of the laundry closet and says Psst, grabs her and tells her she needs to change i really feel like 
if there is no fic of Spencer undressing Arya in this laundry closet, I don't know even what the internet is for, once again, because Spencer is literally grabbing her and dragging her into a closet and telling her to take off her clothes. (laughs) Which I will just say is not the last time that Spencer will tell one of her friends to take off all of their clothes in front of her. Good point! Indisputable queerness of Spencer Hastings, point number 1,200,391. It strikes again. The rest of this episode is going to be me trying to keep my cat from climbing all over the <laughs> the, uh, the keyboard, because that's the only place he wants uh, to be. Um, Mike Montgomery is sitting in his room, resentfully doing homework. Ella comes in and tries to have a genuine talk with him about what's going on. Why did he get in a fight with Chaz? Uh, why did he break into that house? Why didn't he show up to have, you know, Law and Order Montgomery living room with his parents? Uh, he insists he wasn't looking for anything in that house. And uh, then Ella says, well, then you went through a lot of trouble to get into trouble. And it's pretty clear that Arya still has not given her folks the important info that Mike broke into multiple houses over multiple weeks. Uh, but Mike goes right for Ella's weak point and acts like, well, they need to talk fast before she moves out again. And poor Ella, Byron's infidelity making her the bad guy is really unfair in this whole dynamic. Um, But on the other hand, I wish that Ella and Byron had done some family therapy because every time someone brings up their split, Ella becomes like so wounded that she cannot persist. And she, she was... I think getting close to something with Mike, which is why he lashed out in this way. But as soon as, uh, as, as soon as he goes for uh, the separation angle, uh, she's really like immobilized by that. And that makes me say like, what do you think could have been different for Mike? Like, do you think if Ella had moved and let Mike come live with her uh, or if she had like stayed and tried to order Byron out of the house, although I don't know that he would have gone. Uh, do you think that would have made things better for Mike at all? That's a really good question. I, I Maybe. I mean, I think that one of the things that's so painful for Mike is that um, he's living in this house where it's like everybody has been lying to him constantly, you know? Um, and so I think that like we don't get to really see a lot of, like Byron and Ella talking to Mike about the split or Arya and Mike talking about the split. But I think that we can kind of assume that probably they proceeded the way that they've always been, where it was kind of this dynamic of um, Arya and her parents are like the house adults. And then Mike is like the child who nobody is really explaining full concepts to. And so I, I think if there had just maybe been more like open communication with Mike, that probably could have helped matters in some way. Um, but still like with the proper boundaries that the Montgomery's never seem to have when it comes to their firstborn. Um, but I, I think maybe, yeah, giving Mike some options about maybe where he wanted to live and, um, just like telling him that it's okay to be angry, but like, let's try to find an outlet for that, that might be more helpful and not so destructive. Yeah, I also like, we've seen uh, a few shots of Mike's room recently. We saw it when Byron uh, went in there to talk to him uh, and he had the stolen the stolen car mirror prominently on his desk. And we also saw his room when Arya went in there to go and rummage through his closet to find out what other things he had stolen. 
Uh, side note, Arya went from keeping her dad's secret to now keeping Mike's, um, which is, you know, another great Montgomery family dynamic. But I like that in this scene, Mike's room is it's just a mess. Like it's a mess in a way that it has not been a mess the last couple of times we've seen it. And that is some great set dressing in terms of showing that Mike is actually like sinking into a bit of like a depression here. Like it's messy, like it's mm-hmm. messy in the way of like his external state mirroring his internal state. I feel at this point. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I mean, I didn't look around too closely in this scene, but I think also, like, Arya had brought all of that stuff back, yes, in the last episode, and perhaps Mike isn't even going through the process of, like, hiding it all, and that, I think, also speaks to him just kind of, like, not really... And his parents anymore. continuing to not notice it. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, and again, I think there's great blocking here where Mike, you know, we talked about this a little last episode, but, like, he hasn't made eye contact with any member of his family in like episodes you know he's not he's always turning away he's always moving away his language is always about like I don't want to talk about it I don't want to talk about it um and this is certainly like I think a really common dynamic with teenagers and their parents but clearly Mike is going through something here and I don't think his parents are trying and it's great blocking in that Ella sits down like she sits down before she tries to talk to him so she's like physically putting herself on the same level because he's like kind of like reclined on i guess that's his bed right right whereas byron is always like mm-hmm. hovering over him kind of looking down on him totally oh my goodness we have a new location it is the hastings lake house our first visit here we come into this space with um it's it's kind of dark there's like sheets over the furniture um there's the sense that it's this is sort of an old an old space um and uh caleb asks where they where uh they are as hannah who clearly has been here before starts like pulling sheets off the furniture she picks up a piece of firewood and says is this kindling um caleb makes a comment about the hastings owning half of pennsylvania i guess the Kahn family owns the other half um what so, like, I feel like there's almost, like, a dropped scene in here or a dropped line of dialogue, which I, I don't terribly mind, but it's, like, when did this plan come together for for Hannah to whisk Caleb off to the hasty Oh, well, I think she did it because she wants him to be able to hide there so that he won't have to decide to run away. I agree. I, yeah, I think there probably was a line that, like, got cut or didn't make it in, but that, that was my understanding, was that's why she's taken him to this, like, uh, secret secret location where she hasn't even told spencer apparently that they're going yeah i guess hannah either like broke in or has her own key or something or knows yeah i assume she knows where the hide a key is and she decided to take advantage i want the fanfics about like what's been going on at this cabin like yeah how like it's so casually just dropped into the middle of this episode but it's like secret cabin that we've never known about well, what? and we had a discussion previously about when Mona cut down the tree that had Ian plus Allie on it, uh, or I guess it had or it had the initials, whatever it was. Uh, she cuts down the tree and we see the stump being burned. And we weren't sure at the time if the stump was burned in the lake house or at another location. 
But I feel like, boy, we've been getting a lot of things being incinerated in fireplaces lately. We had the hockey stick that Peter burned in the last episode. Uh, then we have a, a roaring fire happening here at the Hastings Lake House. So wherever that was burned, I feel like we can say it was on Hastings property somewhere. Yes, Hastings, they spend a lot of time burning evidence. Um, as Caleb makes a fire, Hannah tells him that someone is following him. She still has her disguise on, of course. Um, Caleb kind of says without saying that he's been followed before. Um, Hannah asks, what does this cop think that Caleb did? Uh, Caleb says that he's not hiding. And when Hannah points out that your business isn't exactly in the yellow pages, Caleb says that he'll deal with this, but this time he won't leave town. He's not going anywhere, he says, while he takes off her scarf. And Hannah very adorably replies, if you do, can I come with you? I'll pack really fast. And then they proceed to have sex on Spencer's Nana's couch, which, given Spencer's interest in her respective friends' relationships, I'm sure is something that Spencer wishes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, in the darkened hospital room, an orderly appears to take Emily's food tray uh, wait, she says, she hasn't eaten yet. Uh, she takes the heat coaster off of her uh, off of her drink, and there is an A message underneath. Hey, Em, want some cream with your coffee? To which I say, Emily can't have coffee. She has an ulcer. But under the plastic cover of her dinner, fully on the tray with her hospital food, with the peas and the mashed potatoes, is a tube of HGH-laced pain cream. No one wants to eat that. Oh my gosh. Yes. Poor, poor Emily. Like, not even her, her comfort cream is going to be a source of comfort. No, no, it is not. Um, after the commercial, Spencer and Aria are back in their candy striper outfits receiving this news. They've just decided to stay in these outfits, I guess, because they, I guess they, it seems like they haven't made it back to the morgue yet. Um, Emily fears that she's never going to be able to swim again. She is done and ready to move to Texas. A is taking us down one at a time. Aria is probably next. Um, Aria says that she would like to join Emily in Texas. And it's interesting, you know, now we've had a couple of back-to-back -back scenes of the liars basically saying, like, they would be okay with leaving Rosewood. But Spencer is not on this track. She says that they are going to uh, take A down and none of them are going to be leaving. Yes, yes. Um, it's an interesting note that Spencer is the one who is, like, so onto this. And also, when they're talking about it, um, like Spencer's like, how long has this been in your system? Did it damage any organs? And Emily, whose priorities are a little skewed, is kind of like, who needs organs? I don't want my parents to know about this. <laughs> so <sighs> priorities, priorities, liars. Uh, and I also love it at the end when one of like Spencer's kind of closing remarks to her everyone stick together speech is that they're so close to knowing who killed Allison. And it's just like, oh, Spencer. <laughs> You, oh, ladies, you, you are always going to think that you're so close, and yet you're only in the first half of season two. Uh, but Wayne comes in and uh, sees the girls, and the girls are like, "Oh yeah, we just volunteered. We started volunteering today, right now. This is hour one." And then they skedaddle, uh, taking the pain cream tray with them. 
Yes, yes. Um, and then, yeah, Wayne and, and Emily have this conversation where Wayne uh, very hilariously says that because he's been working on the security system at the neighbor's house. And he says he says that he said to them, you're in Rosewood. You can relax. Ha. Huh? Also, it was here that I realized that Wayne keeps referring to Pam yeah. as Ma. It's which, weird. <laughs> what's that about? <laughs> Um, but he says that he and Pam have talked and this whole scholarship thing isn't worth it. I don't believe, by the way, that Pam wouldn't be on the first flight out here to see that her daughter is okay. Um, Wayne says to hell with Danby. They can find another way to pay for college. They just want her to be happy and they embrace. But I'd like to point out to everybody that just because Danby is off the table doesn't mean Emily's medical records have magically changed. She still has HGH in her system. And I feel like I don't totally remember what happens with this later but I feel like there's this weird sort of like false equivalency thing happening where it's like oh well if Danby is off the table then Emily being on steroids like doesn't like like that information goes away yes yes it seems like uh it seems like this is just really the resolution of the Danby plot line where Emily like gets a get out of jail free pass on the lie um because her dad no longer cares about the Danby thing and I feel like I feel like this is something that gets her booted from the swim team for a period of time, but I'm not 100% sure about it. But I, I think she's off the swim team from like now when her HGH stuff comes up until Mona gets her back on at the Truth Up Day. Is that right? Do you, do you remember oh, that timeline? That might be right. I, I remember Mona, Mona getting her back. I almost feel like it would have been a cleaner, a cleaner thing if they had just, especially with you saying, you know, about how like ulcers, um, like medication and bacteria could is is actually what would create an ulcer like i almost feel like it would have made more sense to cut out the hgh storyline and just had it be that a somehow like directly triggers the ulcer for emily and that's what gets her off the swim team for a while and then and then do the whole thing with mona but i feel like the steroid thing it doesn't my memory of it maybe i'm misremembering but like it doesn't matter enough for like all of the weight that it's given in this yeah yeah i would certainly agree with that um, and now we have Spencer and Aria are candy stripers and they are breaking into the morgue. Aria is sketched out by the coldness and the cookies sitting out on a desk. Spencer very casually says, they stay fresh. <laughs> Aria is supposed to watch the door, but she quickly abandons that task and goes to the file cabinet as Spencer finds the autopsy report for Allison. Yes. Yeah. I love Aria is supposed to be on lookout and just immediately runs over to Spencer. But I also really like how this is like the liars leveling up their, um, you know, how, how investigative they're going to be, but also like their comfort with creepy things. Like Aria is so freaked out in this scene. And, you know, I feel like by the end of the series, like sneaking into a morgue, you know, like it must be Tuesday. Like that's just like par for the course. Well, the especially liars. because this is not the first the liars steal a file caper that we've seen. Hannah had to steal the file right. on uh, from the psychiatrist's office in season one. So this is uh, this is the liars doing it. But this time they're doing it willingly. No one has forced them into this. Uh, this is the liars trying to like take the investigation to the next level on their own. 
Yes, and in a room with dead bodies. Yes. And this is also um, this is also another uh, great instance. There are several times in this episode when Spencer tries to beat A by becoming like A. We see the liars lurking outside of a window to spy on a girl and her boyfriend. Uh, when they're when they're watching Jenna and Garrett, True. and then now we have uh, Spencer breaking into a location and stealing medical information that she's not entitled to in the interests of trying to solve Allison's, uh, you know, the mystery of what happened to Allison. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, back in the Marin kitchen, Ashley is throwing out everything in the fridge that was related to Tom. Um, when Hannah arrives, Ashley says that Tom is gone. He will call Hannah. Uh, again, very terrible that he, I have to say, like, awful, very terrible of Tom that he didn't stay to say goodbye to Hannah. I also feel like a little bit bad on Ashley that she didn't say to him in that scene, like, you need to stay and say goodbye to Hannah. Not that it's Ashley's responsibility, but like, I don't know. I feel like she could have advocated a little bit more there. Um, Hannah insists that Tom and Ashley are in love. She's seen them slow dancing, drinking wine on the patio like they were on their honeymoon. Um, Ashley repeats her line about things, or Hannah says, what about things change, people grow? And Ashley has a great line back where she says, they do, I have. Uh, Ashley points out that Tom has made a commitment. Hannah asks if they want to be together. And when Ashley says no, Hannah rips up the invitation and this is just so sad because like we've kind of talked about with this storyline, as much as Hannah might be having a growing awareness about her dad being kind of a bad guy, there's still this huge part of her that just wants her parents to be reunited. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think Ashley is so strong here. She's doing such a great job of modeling this for her daughter and of like taking it on. And, and you know, she knows that it's making Hannah yeah. unhappy, but she's just being really firm about you know, she no longer wants to be with Tom. Uh, it's not that he did anything wrong, although, I mean, honestly, he did a ton of stuff wrong, um, including being engaged to someone else while he was carrying on uh, this affair. But I, I really like the way that Ashley is kind of giving voice to what's going on in the Presbyterian relationship at this point. Like, you know, wanting to break up is in itself a reason to break up. Um, so I, I think it's great that she is like you know, really demonstrating that. And also, like, I would say, what fantasy do you think she's describing? Like, what fantasy were they indulging in here? Oh, when Ashley refers to the the <laughs> fantasy. Um, I That's a good question. I mean, I think that, I think that she's in some ways referring to a couple of different fantasies because I think that there's sort of the fantasy of the two of them reuniting, um, after all this time, I think that there's a little bit of like this role play element of Ashley getting the opportunity to be the other woman because she was on the other side of that equation, which she mentions in this scene. Um, but I think that she's also kind of talking to Hannah here, referring to Hannah indulging in this fantasy of all of them being a happy family. Yeah, together. because I, I definitely feel like the fantasy that Hannah was having was that they were all going to be a happy family. They were all going to be reunited. Everything was going to be sunshine and roses. Um, but I feel like Ashley never really believed that. I feel like she kind of, um, you know the ways in which that she and Tom were not quite done with each other is interesting to think about. And I feel like Ashley gets closure here 
by being the one to break up with him. Like instead of him walking out and leaving them and going on to his new family and his new life, like Ashley kind of gets something out of having the chance to possibly have this relationship back and refuse it. Tom, I'm not sure what, like, I guess Tom's fantasy is just like, he wants to be able to have whatever he wants the moment that he wants it. And at least for a moment, Ashley was willing to go along. But I don't think that Tom was ever in the fantasy of having the happy family because his interaction with Hannah never really seemed to get to that point. No, I mean, maybe Tom's fantasy is like that he's a good father because he's so not. And so like by being vaguely around, even though he was around for Ashley, he gets to tell himself that he was like, doing some you know some that's a great call that's a great call his fantasy is that he is an outstanding husband and father he is a byron montgomery of family life (laughs) what a prince what (laughs) throw that man parade um (laughs) exactly give him a key to the city um over at uh back at m in emily's hospital room the uh, Spencer and Arya are sharing the autopsy with her. Oh, oh no, no, no. I'm sorry. Yes. We're, back. We're still in the morgue. We haven't gotten to the oh. hospital room yet. Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, they're, they're in the morgue. Arya asks Spencer if she was pre-med in preschool because she's able to figure out all the medical jargon on the autopsy report. Uh, Spencer uh, suffers greatly from confirmation bias here because after learning that Allison was hit with uh, with a blunt object with rounded edges decides immediately it's the hockey stick. Um, But she also learns an important fact, which is that Allie had dirt in her lungs, i.e. she was buried alive. Yeah. I love this scene, how like kind of creeped out they are, but I also really like how I feel like you really see here, like they're coming at this from very different places. Aria is just like, grossed out and creeped out and looks like she might vomit at the end of this scene spencer is just like kind of itching for more information and it's it's almost like like it really is this feeling of she's almost like an addict like trying to get her fix like trying to get absorb as much information about this situation yeah like sometimes spencer has an elevated level of interest in her friend's relationships and here she's having that same elevated level of interest in allison's autopsy Spencer is going to have some weird dreams tonight involving morgues and candy striper outfits and girls in yellow tops and probably Aria and possibly Yeah, there is a lot going on with her for sure. Um, Do you want to take Hannah stalking down the streets of Rosewood? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Hannah is just like, she, she like wants to burn a man alive tonight. Like she is all fired up walking down the town square. That car that's been following Caleb around is sitting there. Um, she storms up to it, says, Caleb is not going anywhere. Whatever this person is doing, they need to back off. There are people in this town who love Caleb and will protect them. Yeah, oh my goodness. that guy is lucky there was not a tire iron in sight because Hannah is in that same take no prisoners type of mood. Oh, my God. She wants to, like, take that scarf that she was wearing earlier and strangle someone to death. <laughs> she with does. She does. Men... All men, creepy men, are on her list right now. 
Um, Spencer apparently does not care about Emily's stress level, despite the whole ulcers are caused by stress plotline of this episode, because she is now showing her Allison's autopsy file and regaling her with the gruesome details she's discovered. Uh, She also accuses Jason once Arya is out of the room, uh, and another hole in her stomach is probably forming right now, Spencer. Oh, God. You know, I mean, Spencer was saying that Hannah was not, you know, maybe being the most tactful earlier, but come on, Here, do you want to see, do you want to see x-rays of your first love's skull being crushed in and talk with me about whether or not it was a hockey stick? (laughs) And see if maybe, you know, your neighbor might have committed the crime. It could be any one of your neighbors, Emily. It could be me. Um... Down in the lobby, Aria and Fitz are chatting. Ezra has showed up at the hospital, but he did not bother to bring up a gift basket like Noel Khan did when Hannah was in the hospital. Instead, he is asking if there's anything he can do, and then he kind of desperately invites Aria over. She starts to get a call, and it is Jason, but she lies about it being her parents and says that she has to go right home. Um, clearly, there is some distance here. They kiss in the hospital, in the hospital lobby, in front of God and everyone, and Ezra kind of uh, reluctantly backs away. Yeah, I, so he shows up at the hospital uninvited. Also, it's an open question how he knew that Emily was in the hospital, because Arya says, right. I was supposed to call him, which she said that back in, like, back when she was in the pottery studio. So it doesn't seem like she called him to let him know that Emily was in the hospital, I do assume he had cameras and that's how he knew that Emily had been hospitalized unless he heard it from like his old colleagues, but he doesn't teach at the school anymore. So I'm giving him a side eye for that. Right. Um, Also there are like certain things that you might do when your friends are gathered at a hospital, like sitting a vigil with someone, like a thing that you might do is bring food because hospital food is terrible. You might bring a gift basket Maybe bring flowers. Ren brought a plant to the Hastings in this episode for no discernible reason. Uh, he could have done any of those things. He could have brought fashion magazines for them to leave through. He didn't do any of that. He just brought his petulant baby self to try and make Arya feel guilty and then try to get her to come over to his place when she's done being at the hospital with her friend. Well, and he brought his petulant baby self and then says, is there anything I can do? Like, yes, you could bring us something that we could actually use. In this or you could go away. You could, like, let me have this experience that I'm having. <laughs> oh, man. Ezra, as always, Ugh. is the worst. Uh, next, we see the dude in the gray Camaro who is on the phone with an unknown person saying that Caleb knows he's tailing him and it looks like he doesn't want to see them. Elsewhere, Hannah and Caleb are eating ice cream and sitting on a curb watching a happy-looking family eat outside Lucky Leon's. Caleb suggests she call her dad, but Hannah basically thinks if they can't be a happy family, there's just no point. Caleb holds her and lets her feel her feelings. Another example of early seasons Caleb understanding that that's all he needs to do. Yeah, and you know that Hannah is in a bad place here because she is sitting on the curb in her, like, really cute little outfit on the curb eating ice cream. So this is, like, 
She's feeling so sad. He should have let her put the disguise back on just to cheer herself up. (laughs) Or he should have worn the disguise. I feel like that also would have brought a smile to her face. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like um, Hannah's Hannah would be very cheered up by like putting Caleb into drag. She would enjoy that very, very much. Um, Back in the hospital room, Spencer and Emily are continuing to look through the autopsy report. They are going through page one, page two, page three, page four. But wait a minute. There's no page five. Where is page five? It's gone. It's gone. Spencer is freaked out. Where the hell is page five? I feel like... um, I, maybe they wanted to save this reveal, but I feel like this would have played a little bit better if we knew what information was missing that was presumably on page five, because it's like page five could just be like, you know, legal <laughs> jargon or something. But later we learn that page five is like talks about the murder um, right? or talks about the manner of death or something. Do we ever find out what is supposed you know to be what? on page five? When we were watching this, I was like trying to remember what page five was. And if you had asked me about page five before I saw this episode, I would have said page five was the thing that said that Allison was buried alive. But Spencer figured that out without seeing the mythical page five. So I don't really remember what it is. It might be something about the murder weapon. Garrett is the one who stole it, I think, because he has it later and he gives it to, to Jenna. So right. I don't really remember. Page five is another thing that kind of turns out to be meaningless. Um, but yes, here it is. A, here it is. A big, big deal. Where is page five? Page five has the answers to everything. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it's becoming increasingly clear as we're heading into sort of the home stretch of 2A that 2A, lots of great character stuff not a lot of like mystery stuff that's really gonna yeah it's funny because i remember the first two seasons as being very tightly plotted as a put like when compared with the rest of the run of the show so it's interesting going back and looking through them seeing how much stuff there is that actually doesn't wind up mattering such as garrett and jenna and such as the eventual uh work that's going to happen with the nat club coming down the pipe and all of the um, murder <laughs> weapons that are not really murder weapons. And also, I think something else that I had not remembered, I thought that we learned about NAT a lot, like, by Me name. Me too. Me too. I am also surprised that has not happened yet. Um, but next thing that happens, we go down into the morgue where a janitor is eating the cookies while picking up trash. Now, I have no problem with cookie eating in the morgue. That is fine. But touching the cookie in your mouth with the same gloved hand that you just touched hospital trash with? That that is not okay. The hospital trash has like biohazards and and germs and like there could be like brains in that trash. And the janitor is just like touching the trash, touching the cookie, going about his business. I found that to be the scariest part of the scene. But as he leaves, one of the bodies under the sheets sits up and flaps the sheet dramatically at the camera. Yes, A presumably has been in the morgue for some amount of time, potentially when the liars were there yes, as well. Yes, yes. And I think we're meant to believe uh, that A has page five, that that's what's going on with it. Right, but page, but, but page, but A does not have right. that page. Um, we don't see Paige in this episode, unfortunately. Um, yes, but that is that episode. Um, 
a pretty uh, a pretty fun one. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of great visual stuff in this episode, I think. I was realizing as we were watching this that um, one of my favorite uh, PLL fan videos, uh, the, the Ecstasy of Gold by Benjamin Light, a lot of shots were taken from this particular episode. Yeah, this is definitely this is definitely an episode that has some great character stuff, great disguises. Gotta love that. Um, I do wonder, we actually don't know that it is A, under the sheet at the end. It could also be a vampire existing in Rosewood that happens to be raising. Or it could also be Noel Kahn, who we'll learn later in the series, likes to hang out under sheets in places where he can later surprise people. <laughs> True. Do you think that this would have been better if they had showed that it was A? Ooh, I don't know. I found... Like if we'd seen a... I found the fluttering the sheet at the camera to be a little over-the-top cheesy. It's fine. PLL is a campy show, but I tend to like my A tag to show the black-gloved hand doing something. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, yes, but this was a this was a good one. And then next week's episode, as we really are coming into this home stretch of two A. Oh, that's a great question. While we're checking on that, I have a question for you. Since Emily uh, slash stomach ulcer is not a very good ship, uh, do you feel like the queerest ship of this episode was Spencer and Hannah bickering like an old married couple, or Spencer and Aria in the laundry closet? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, because this is not a very ship-heavy episode other than the Haleb stuff. Um, uh, I'm going to give it to Spana, big surprise, but partially partially because I feel like Sparia gets more, they get more shippy moments. So for this one, I'm going to give it to Spana. I don't think that this is peak Sparia. I think that they have better moments at other points but they are very entertaining in this episode what um, about you well i mean spana had more of of their bickery interactions but i i really do think that i have to give it to sparia uh just for the just for spencer's little like poking her head out and saying Psst, and then like dragging aria in somewhere where she needs to immediately take off her clothes um i'm i'm gonna give it to them that's fair that's very fair um, the next episode is Picture oh. This, um, which, yes, is is not one that I um, have too many memories of, but I think that it's the episode where that has the great scene where Ashley tells Emily that she can um, have friends, friends and girlfriends over at the house, which is one of my favorites. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's an episode where we're also going to get into Arya's dream world. Oh, always a scary yeah thing yeah scene. and i also think that there's more candy striper outfits if i'm not wrong i think we get we get like the full set we get emily and hannah in the candy striper outfits next episode oh my gosh well that is going to be super super fun we're also getting really close to emily's creepy lucas Ooh. massage which i'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about That's in two episodes um 
But if you have thoughts on this episode, who is most shippable, which disguise is your favorite, you can send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also uh, check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. Drop us a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Um, anything else we want to no, say about this? No, till next time. Thank you.